Welcome to Let's Talk Seniors. Thanks to Anglican Care. Joining us today, we're lucky enough to have award-winning author Susan Francis with us. Susan has written the book, The Love That Remains, and is talking to us today about moving through the stages of grief. Thank you so much for joining us, my good friend Susan. This is incredible. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your story for people who don't know your background in regards to the topic today? When I was 52, I know it's a big question, it's a big isn't it? And I'll try and, I'll try and <laughs> no, summarise okay. it really quickly. But you have to give people context around this. I do. Yeah. So when I was 52 or 53, my husband, who was 57 or 58, facts kind of escape me these days, we decided to give up our jobs, sell our house, sell our cars, sell all our furniture and move to... Spain. Wow. <laughs> and live, you know, live before we died. Mm. We thought we've got this last chance to do something amazing. And we moved to Granada, which is a beautiful city in Spain. We lived underneath the Alhambra. So why did you choose Granada? Did well, you have a discussion like leading up did. to it of where you're going to go? We and had a really yeah. big discussion. We mm. wanted... Well, it's a big decision to decide yeah, where we're going to go, I imagine. Where are you going to live for 12 <laughs> yes. months or longer? Yeah. Which, which city? Mm. And we thought we wanted something vibrant something that had a very strong culture where the language was different to what we spoke and it was a university town so we thought there'd always be something going on and most importantly it was small enough for us to walk so we didn't have to get a car. Mm. I love that walkability. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I yes. love that in Europe. I know. You always beautiful. find that you get really thin because you're just yeah, walking, walking up hills all the time. Despite all the yummy just, food. Yeah, and the wine. <laughs> <laughs> so I need to have to go back to Spain. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it wasn't such a difficult choice after we started deciding what it was we needed. So we left in 2015 and first six months were amazing. Everything you would think the cobblestone streets, the wine, the food, the people, the travel. Yeah, it was amazing. So everything you dreamt about. Everything we mm. dreamt about. It really was like a dream. Mm. And where did you set yourselves up? You got a house there? We got a tiny little apartment Yeah. up a mountainside, which cars were not allowed into, okay. so all the groceries had to be carried up. Everything <laughs> had to be carried up. <laughs> and, yeah, we got fit really quickly because mm. you'd stop on the stairs and watch people who are much older than you, you know, lapping you. And I'd say, we go. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, with it's, a, walking it's an kids. ego destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> and we're panting and yeah. we had an amazing time. And then we went to Portugal for my husband's 60th birthday. And that was June 2015. And when we were there, you know, another beautiful city. It was a wonderful time. But unfortunately, we were sitting in the apartment that we had hired. So there weren't other people around. It was a service yeah. department. Yeah, okay. So there was no one on reception. There was a, a key that you could just get into the building and we were four stories up. And I was working on the book. And one morning I was in the sunroom and I could hear the noise from the bedroom and it was a noise unlike I'd ever heard before in my life because my husband was a very strong man and brave and courageous and I rushed in to see what the noise was and my husband was sitting up in the bed and his face was literally purple, gasping for breath. And I panicked, raced into the other room, frantically trying to figure out even what the number was. I, I didn't was going to say, when you're yeah. in a foreign country, yeah. that's so hard. Mm. I didn't even know what the emergency number was and the phones weren't working. My phone hadn't charged and his phone was on a passcode. 
and I didn't know oh, what the passcode was. And also I didn't know what number to ring. Mm. And mm. after kind of checking on the computer and trying a million different things to try and get the ambulance, I raced across the hallway and the woman across the hallway couldn't understand me. Oh. She didn't help. Raced back in. My husband, I believe, had died by that point. I raced down the four flights of stairs and pulled a stranger up in the street and he rang the ambulance for me. But it was still considerable time before they arrived. So literally as they walked in the door, I was sitting there holding my husband's hand. It's really difficult to say, but I think by that time he'd probably been gone for about 20 minutes. Okay. They tried desperately to do CPR and get him back to life, but but it didn't work. You've spent a lifetime creating a home. It's where you belong. As you age, Anglican Care's home life can help you remain happy and independent in your very own home. Find out how at anglicancare.com.au. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I know they say time heals wounds, but it doesn't necessarily because I know you had such a deep love for your husband. Can we talk a little bit now about you know, the rebuild and what that looked like for you and how it was immediately after and then how you went about life and trying to just make it and maybe even the first few months to start with. So those first few months, it was all about getting home and it was really difficult to get home. And just being on your own in another country must have been so confronting. Yeah, so so I was really lucky the, the Australian Embassy sent somebody over that morning and I just remember the apartment was filled with police and filled with doctors and filled with ambulance officers and there was a question there for a little while about whether or not the police were going to take me to the police station. Um, but the woman from the Australian Embassy eventually sorted everything out and by the end of the day they took Wayne's body away She called in a funeral director who could help me make the arrangements. My son flew over two or three days later and together we drove back to Granada after about a fortnight because it took quite a while. Mm. We drove back to Granada. My son had to go home for work. I had to stay and pack everything up. Mm. So those first couple of weeks, I just remember pushing everything away and just trying to get through what I had to get through. It was almost like I put Wayne in the grief inside a garage and yeah. brought the door down mm, yeah. because I had it to do... too much to deal with. Yeah. yeah, and I had to get home and getting home was so crucial to me. I thought once I get home, then everything will be all right. Yeah, so it was just hour by hour at the start. Yeah, it was hour by mm. hour and it really felt like I was looking through a window at the rest of the world. Yeah. Like it was so surreal and it was like it was someone so else's life. so surreal and yeah. I'm walking the streets of Granada, streets that Wayne and I had walked together and the seasons had turned so it was really hot and there were many tourists there and it had seemed to have turned from a place where we had such a beautiful time together to a place that felt very alien to me. Oh, wow. And Wayne had died a week after his 60th birthday. I probably got home maybe six to seven weeks after that. And I remember walking through the airport because I'd had a very bad experience in Dubai that I won't go through now with my husband's ashes. And I walked through the Sydney airport 
and I'm kind of fumbling with the ashes saying to the guard, female guard, you know, I've got to show you this paperwork and I've got to show you this ashes. And, and she just looked at me and she said, it's all right, love, you're home now. Sorry, my oh, voice always oh, breaks oh. on that. I think you've been through enough yeah. going through. And it was just such a relief. Yeah, mm. I thought you were going to say an- a- another story then that it mm. was difficult, but it's lovely that someone had that empathy at yeah, that point. Yeah, she was amazing. Mm. Yeah. So after that, I, of course, didn't have anywhere to live because we'd sold everything. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money because all the bank accounts and mm. everything. So you didn't was- have all those normal life things yeah. that might help you get through 100%. that grief at yeah. that time? No, I didn't. No. So I went and stayed at my son's house. Then I went and stayed at my husband's mother's house. We had a proper service where everybody could come. And that's when I really broke down. Oh, like wow. Really okay. broke down. So you've talked about putting your emotion in the garage and then that was where... That um, was where the garage yeah, door came up. Yeah. I mean, that was a necessary thing, yes. obviously. A survival mm. instinct yeah. sort of kicks in, doesn't it, at that point? Yeah. yeah. With that you know, letting up of the garage. And I'm sure there's people out there, if you've had sort of some sort of grief that you need to move through, what was that like? And second of all, how did you move through that naturally or allow it to flow through you? That's a really interesting question. So I don't think I actually felt the grief or allowed the grief, the reality of what was really happening until that funeral. So The crying, I remember crying on the stairs and my best friend had her arms around my shoulders and all the people who were at the funeral, we'd moved to the pub by then and they were all sitting in the pub. And I just remember I didn't think I would ever stop crying. Um, Like it really hit me so hard. And I think in part that's because I'd kept it at bay for all those weeks. Mm. And after that, it it was a process of, I I threw myself into trying to find a job, which was just ridiculous because I wasn't ready for work. I suppose I started doing things that would shift my focus Mm, away. Help you forget. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And then I realised I couldn't stay with my brother anymore. That was about three or four weeks and some money came through from the insurance. So I got myself a little flat and I really felt the need to be on my own and to dwell in yes. that grief mm. and feel that grief because sometimes it's exhausting being with other people i imagine at that time susan and having to kind of be yeah. up for one yeah. of a better word when that's not the stage of grief that you're at you need to just be on your own and feel it that is, is that- exactly right okay. i felt like i had to be cooking dinner for my yes. brother and his family yeah. and i had to have a bright face and yeah. i had to be looking for a job mm. And I desperately needed that space. Mm. Although if it hadn't been for them, I don't know where I would have lived. So mm. I'm eternally grateful. Mm. Family and friends, so important. Mm. But yeah, I really needed that little place just on my own where I could let it go and come to terms with it. And I suppose that process occurred over about six months. Mm. And there were times when I wasn't sure I could go on. Mm. It was only because family and friends, they didn't have expectations of me. They would come and visit me. They would bring food. Do you think people found it difficult to deal with your grief? Because sometimes people don't know what to say and how to act. It's really interesting. About a year and a half after everything happened. So I wasn't really aware of people. To Mm. be really honest, I wasn't... Yeah, you were kind of in a fog. Yeah, I wasn't really aware of how other people were acting. I felt so deeply in what had happened. Mm. And I found out about a, a year and a half later so I'd been a teacher and one of the girls I'd taught had then gone on to be a teacher herself and 
I'd rung the school that I'd taught at and told them what had happened and they told her she was teaching at a nearby school. And she apparently, she didn't wreck the room, but she was furious. And what really shocked me afterwards was the grief people felt for me. They felt so disappointed and so sad and so she especially and other people said the same thing to me you know you'd waited so long to find happiness and then it was snatched away so quickly so it really when I kind of raised my head above the water and looked around I was really surprised by how hard it had hit other people what we'd lost together share Anglican Cares Let's Talk Seniors on your Facebook page your friends will dig us people talk about there's certain stages to grief I can't think of them off the top of my head at the moment but do you feel like that you worked through those or do you think it's just very individualistic grief so that the seven stages of grief yeah Mm. I don't I I think not necessarily people consider that Mm. exactly correct anymore yeah Yeah, okay okay. so you might not go through all those stages Mm. you you know they used to say you might get stuck at one of those stages Mm. Honestly, the thing that got me through it, definitely family and friends, definitely having that space to yourself to be able to come to terms with it, but also the idea that life goes on. And I talk about it in the book. Mm. My mother died two years later after Wayne died. She died from Alzheimer's. And I went to her house with my best friend to tidy the house up and decide what would go where and... I remember opening up a box of photographs and there were all these photographs of when Di, my friend, and I were young, when my son was born, when I was married, Mm. when I graduated from university. And I'm looking at all those photographs and the realisation hit me, I had this life before Wayne. Mm -hmm. You know, I was happy before Wayne. Mm. Life isn't all about Wayne and I. Mm. Yes. And did you kind of get to the point where you could treasure what you had as part of your journey and then feel lucky that you had that because not everyone has that really great love in their life either and did that kind of help you to move on as well? It did but I think the thing that helped me the most Mm. was finding something else that really mattered to Mm -hmm. me. So writing the book was the reason that got Mm. me up every morning. It is a book that's all about Wayne and it's a book that demonstrates my love and respect for him writing that for the next couple of years is what got me through and Mm -hmm. you know that can be different for various people it's finding that other thing that you care about there's not just one thing that you care about or one thing that you love there's other things that you can love and so finding that gave me a new purpose Mm -hmm. these days i get a little bit angry to tell you the truth i'm really honest and we're talking nearly six years later Mm I had a great deal of trouble leaving him behind. I always felt like I was betraying him. You know, if I took my wedding ring off, if I took the photos down, that's a betrayal to him, betrayal to what we had. And I would be leaving him behind. It was really hard to make that move forward. Mm -hmm. But I had to, Mm. you know, otherwise the rest of my life would have been a waste. Yes. So these days I, I still get a little bit angry about him being taken and the changes that had to occur in my life. And I think also I'm much stronger than I was then. Mm -hmm. Definitely being independent without someone by your side, 
it definitely forces you to be a different person. Had you been married for a long time, Susan? No, we hadn't. Okay. <laughs> we'd only been together for three years. Wow, and okay. And is that what you were talking about when you said friends were upset because you'd found happiness yes, and exactly. that had been snatched away and from you? you know, okay. We were, we were older. And yes. Which is really beautiful to find love later in life. It is, and it's so precious. Mm. And you you do tend to rush into it a little bit more Mm. because you're very aware that you Mm. don't have that yeah. much time left and plus you're wise at, at a certain yeah, age you know, you know what, what you want, want yeah. and there's no point mucking around exactly mm. but i didn't expect that it would be such a short space mm. of time no absolutely not so yeah i honestly i think grief is so convoluted mm. and sometimes if i if i find myself crying and i don't cry very much anymore mm-hmm. you know i remember when when i was going through those first couple of years and i think when is this going to be over because it wasn't that i loved Wayne less mm. or I hated the actual grief yeah I was gonna say did you feel like you got sick of grieving? yeah I did I did and yeah. I I wanted it to go away and I wanted someone just to say to me in two years and five months mm. yeah, you, you will feel better. Timeline yeah. It. yeah but there isn't a timeline and, and 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 it does to a degree stay with you forever I think it does yeah, yeah mm. I think it does it's just the way mm. you can um, package it up a little bit yeah, yeah. And, and it's not sitting it's yeah. not your entire heart anymore. Mm. It's just a tiny mm. little bit of your heart. Yeah. And these days I can take it out and examine it mm. and look at it and yeah. feel my love for Wayne. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes it still surprises me. Mm. So, yeah, but you want it to stay with you forever because otherwise that I know. person yeah. Yeah, disappears. Yeah. It's yeah. Indi- it's, oh, uh, this it's, is an amazing story. It's individualistic, I think, as well. Yeah, I heard of... Absolutely. Um, uh, and I've heard lots of people say yeah. that about grief. And very... It's their own journey. 100%. Yeah. I've heard of a friend whose parents were very close mm. and they were very much in love till the end and the father actually closed the door on their bedroom and just to this day has never reopened oh, really? okay. it and sleeps on so the lounge out the back. it kind of becomes a shrine, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing your really very beautiful story with us today. And I just wanted to say that one of the other things I loved about your story was that brave leap of faith that you and Wayne took to move to another country and live out your dream. I think that's amazing to do such a thing like that. And yeah, I, I've I'm going to read your book now, Susan. <laughs> <laughs> I should have put you a copy. I'm oh, so sorry. I have loved talking to you today. Yeah. And, thank and if you, you want to find it, The Love That Remains mm. in most good bookstores, and there's another one on the way soon. Oh, there. <laughs> I interrupted Susan from writing. And so is hey, that your Susan. first book today, that <laughs> you've written? That's my first book. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So first published at age 50. Eight. Right, so yeah. that's another that is, part of your yeah. inspiring no. story. Yeah. That's, that's really important yeah, to it find is. something else that you love and something mm. else you can achieve. Mm. Yeah, okay. Well, thank you so much. It's been a thank real pleasure to meet you. Me. I really appreciate it. We have a little oh, yes, for our <laughs> special guests. Susan, and it's in line with the ethos of our podcast, which you have is to tell healthy, us. positive ageing. So you have to tell us yeah, what Yeah, so you've got to tell us what's in there. So in here is a bottle of water. Because <laughs> you might hydration. be after the podcast. <laughs> and I never drink enough water, <laughs> even though I try. Yes. And also some headphones, which I think will be very beneficial for when I want to calm down yes. and relax. Yes. And Good. And privately just get myself 
back into order mm. because if I can just tell you one last thing. Yes, yes, we'd love to. I was to. in a bit of a rush getting in here this morning. <laughs> we and can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> and I have an upper plate. So, you know, realised in the taxi halfway here that I'd left my teeth at home. Oh. <laughs> So I said to the deck, I'm so sorry, Susan. Turn around. <laughs> turn around. I can't go in without my top plate. So obviously, I oh, need a such a good bit friend. Of relaxation. Aww. So the music okay. this will be beautiful. Yeah, and that's their special cordless headphones. They've yes, got no cords. Awesome. Yes, love the cordless ones. Mm. So thank, thank you, you again, Susan. Thanks, thank Susan. You. We look forward to chatting to Karen Cowan from the Hunter Age Care Assessment Team in our next podcast. A great one for people wanting to know where to start when looking for aged care services. Do you have any topics you want Kylie to discuss? Get in touch by emailing letstalkseniors at anglicancare.com.au.